Broadcasting live from the Wellness Wonderland, you're listening to the Wellness Wonderland Radio. I'm Katie, and each week I chat with the most inspirational people on the planet on how to stay inspired in all areas of life. As you listen, feel free to tweet at me, at Katie Dalebout, or use the hashtag Wellness Wonderland. I'd love to hear your aha moments. So grab your headphones and listen on the go, or cuddle up with a notebook as we dive in deep with authentic conversations right here in Wonderland. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so excited for you guys to hear today's episode because I've been looking forward to airing this episode for months. We recorded this a while back, and it's finally going live for you guys all to hear it, and I'm so excited to introduce you to my guest, Angie. We recorded this a while ago, like I said, and then since then, she's become my friend and my mentor. She's even interviewed me a couple times on her amazing site, Holistic Spaces, which I will link to in the show notes. So I'm so excited for you to get to know her work a little bit more. Today, we are talking about feng shui. Yeah, so maybe you're like, feng what? Or maybe you really like feng shui doesn't matter. This episode is going to be helpful wherever you're at with it and you can apply the tools that we talk about in this episode to your life and really see dramatic changes. Like I'm not kidding you, it makes a huge difference. I've been interested in feng shui for years. I actually took a college class on interior design that went into it quite a bit and then I just was fascinated by it so I did my own research and then a mutual friend Sasha Jones who has also been on the podcast you may remember her from season one I believe she introduced me to Angie and here we are so you're gonna learn so many cool things in this episode and I swear to you I'm not even exaggerating at all so Since we recorded, Angie has her first book out, which is amazing. She sent me a copy. It's called 108 Ways to Create Holistic Spaces, Feng Shui and Green Design for Healing and Organic Homes. So it's a really fun book, and I really like it because it's not only full of information, but it's really beautiful. And the design and how it's structured, how it's laid out, it's really user-friendly and easy to understand and and easy to get through. And, and like I said, just really beautiful, which I always really, really appreciate. The way I've been going through it is each day I will read one of the 108 tools from the book. It's just one page and apply it to my life. So it's not like I'm making 108 changes in my space. I'm making one a day. So it becomes like this really fun scavenger hunt or advent calendar where you have one task to do each day and I look forward to it the night before to figure out what it's going to be. It's super groovy book. So check that out. And if you enjoy this episode, I'm so excited to see what you think of this and just see how decluttering your space and making your space feel really awesome works for you. So let me know. Tweet at me. Tweet at Angie. I really want to hear how this has affected you. So before we get into it, a couple of quick announcements. As always, leave a review on iTunes if you like 
the show. That would be so cool. I love hearing from you. And I'm going to be giving away a free copy of Angie's book to anyone who leaves a review. So leave a review and I'll be drawing someone to win a copy, which would be really cool. So leave a review. Yeah. And also, if you want to talk to me on the phone privately, that's totally doable. I have about two spots open right now at the time I'm recording this um, for my private coaching. However, that changes all the time depending on um, my three-month mentorship program and people coming in and out of that. So send me an email if you think that you'd be interested knowing more about me or my coaching I would love to get to know you and and tell you about it. And honestly, email me if you have any questions about anything you hear in Wonderland or anything you hear on the show. I I love hearing from you guys. So my email simple. It's just my name at gmail.com. So Katie Dalebout. And I'm not going to spell it because you guys can find that. It's also on my site. So yeah, so that's that. Um, I'd love to hear from you. You can apply um, to my coaching program on my website. I'll put the link in the show notes. So if you're interested in that, that would be great. Also, um, if you want to support the show even further, you can always donate, which is a great way to support the show. The link to do that will also be in the show notes. Um, And like I say every time, there's swag depending on which level of donation you donate at. So part of that swag is actually a free coaching session with me. So if you want to donate, cool way to do it. Um, Also, supporting the show through the Amazon link is always helpful. You can just shop as you normally would on Amazon or you could buy Angie's book perhaps. And it throws us literally a couple of pennies, you know, to Wonderland. So that's always cool, too. You can even bookmark that as your go-to Amazon link and just shop as you normally would. doesn't cost you anything extra. So just some FYIs there. And, yeah, I really hope you guys are liking these episodes. I'm loving them. I really am. I want to do this more frequently. I want to get back to being once a week. And yeah, so the more that we support the show, the more you tell friends about the show, the more bandwidth I can invest in to pump these out, right? And pump out the show and the show notes and the editing and all that goes into it. And yeah, I have so many on my computer right now. I should send you guys a screenshot of the people that I have just waiting to have their messages heard on the Wellness Wonderland radio. So We've got someone talking about hormonal health, Elisa Viti, if you know her, Paleo for Women. We've got a talk about sexuality and femininity and organization and business and relationships. And I just talked to Melissa Ramos about food and emotional eating the right way and just so much cool stuff. I can't wait for you guys to hear them all. I love podcasting so much. It's all I want to do with all of my time. So, yeah, I hope you guys like listening and enjoy today's episode. Talk to you soon. Wonderland Radio. Today, I am super excited to have Angie in Wonderland, who is a registered New York architect and feng shui interior designer. And for over 14 years, she's been creating beautiful, nourishing environments throughout New York City, San Francisco, LA, and beyond. She is a graduate of architecture from the College of Environmental Design at the University of California at Berkeley, and she is a sought-after expert in the fields of feng shui and green design. So 
I am so excited to talk to her about so many things. She's the founder of Holistic Spaces, integrating beauty, spirituality, and green design. Three things that I absolutely adore. She creates and enhances balance and harmony by designing spaces with an understanding of sustainability and informed by the ancient practice of feng shui. So clearly Angie definitely lives in her version of Wellness Wonderland and I am so thrilled to get to know her here a little bit more today. So thank you so much for stopping by Angie. Thank you so much for having me Katie. I'm really excited to be on your podcast. I know me too. This is going to be a blast. So I guess I really want to start with your story a bit and your journey to becoming an entrepreneur and your journey to your interest kind of in your field. So if we could, um, you know, zoom the lens back, tell your story and why you decided to study architecture. Were you always interested in beautiful spaces? You know, I actually wanted to be an artist when I was growing up and Someone asked me a few years ago what my first creative memory was, and it was weaving baskets. It was at the local park, and I was in a basket weaving class, and I was weaving these baskets, and you would take long um, fibers and soak them in water and then like very carefully weave them into a basket. And I really loved that metaphor of taking different elements and gently shaping them into a container to hold your experiences and that's what I really love about architecture. And and I always wanted to be an artist growing up. I loved making things and creating things. And, and that led me to architecture because, you know, art is one thing and it's something that you can look. Maybe it's two-dimensional. You put it on the wall or maybe it's something that you look at. But architecture is really art that you walk through and experience and it surrounds you and and like that basket, it's a container for your experiences, and it can really uh, nourish you. Wow, what a beautiful answer. I was not expecting that. That is, I, I adore that. Art that you can live in and, and walk in, that's super cool. It's really kind of like, you know, interactive art. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, um, I remember when I applied for college I wasn't sure quite about I wasn't quite sure about architecture because I had also taken a class in high school where they kind of scared you off they said you know it's very male dominated you work all hours of the night you don't get paid a lot and so I was like I don't know if I want to do this but by the time I went to college I realized you know there was nothing else that I wanted to do but study architecture or art and so I ended up you know, taking a more practical route and following architecture. And I was really um, pleased and surprised when I learned more about it because I went to Berkeley and they really focus on uh, the conceptual view of things. So we really learned about how space surrounds you and how how to design places that really um, can speak to the inhabitants. And and that's also something that I learned in school was I took this um, photography class and it was in the architecture school. So everyone was taking pictures of buildings and spaces. And for some reason, I only took pictures of people. And 
I really, I really began to see at that point what really interested me about architecture was really creating spaces for people to inhabit. And again, like spaces that nourish them and like, and all the symbology that can be integrated into the spaces around you. Mm, I love that. So is that when you got into the practice of feng shui and learning about that? No, that came later. So, you know, after school, I graduated, I went into, um, you know, I, I started my architectural career. I was doing a lot of commercial interior spaces, so office spaces. And I was really fortunate because it was during the dot-com boom. We were in San Francisco. So there is a lot of uh, fun design to be had and a lot of money that people were investing in their spaces. And it was in a really exciting time. And um, and it was also interesting to me because it was my first full-time job and going from, you know, being a student and then spending so much time in a office, I realized, you know, by designing offices, I really was doing a great thing. I was really touching a lot of people because people spend so much time in their workspaces. More, sometimes they spend more time at work than they do at home, right? Right. So um, that was really great for me. And then I moved to New York and started doing residential spaces, which I really liked a lot too. But I think moving, I was in California. So moving from California to New York, I think there was a huge, there was a big disconnect for me because I wasn't quite, I was always too fast paced for California. But then when I moved to New York, people were like, oh, you're so mellow, which is really, you know, no one ever told me that before. But I really had to start to adjust to the differences between being in New York and being in California, where, you know, California is, especially Northern California, is so beautiful and there's much more nature around you. And in, and in New York City and Manhattan, you don't really have that much. And so I really had a hard time adjusting to New York City life. So I actually, um, I was, you know, do you know about astrology? I was in my Saturn return. Oh, yeah. 29 and a half, right? <laughs> yes. I was, <laughs> I was in my Saturn return and I went on a trip to Thailand and I was in Chiang Mai and I had, we just, my friend and I were out there and we ran in, we just kept running into this Reiki master. And so my friend was like, well, I want to get a Reiki session. And I didn't even know what it was. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. So I did it. And it was really a very emotional experience for me. And it really, um, I had like a huge epiphany that I needed to have more spirituality in my life. And also being in Thailand, such a Buddhist country, you know, you're seeing all these beautiful temples and all these monks and they're so um, spiritual there. So when I came back to New York, I started taking yoga classes and meditation classes. And then I really wanted to find a way to incorporate it into my work. So that's when I started to pursue feng shui. That's amazing. So with the practice of feng shui, could we get into that a little bit and kind of define it for people who may not be familiar and um, also give people, you know, maybe three ways they can incorporate it into their lives now. Okay, sure. So feng shui was originally developed in China, ancient China, thousands of years ago. But all cultures have some form of feng shui or geomancy, a way of looking at the land 
and looking at how to position yourself in the mo- in the most optimal way to locate yourself. And you know, thousands of years ago, that was really you were really affected by nature and the directions that you were facing. You know where the sun would be if there was a mountain behind you, if you're near water, these things were really important. So, and, and that's why all cultures have some version of feng shui. Like uh, Indian culture has vastu and, and, you know, different Asian cultures have a form, different forms of feng shui under different names. So feng shui really is about looking at your environment around you and really trying to uh, looking at how to see your environment in such a way that you can well you could shift it to create an optimal energy flow that's what most people think it is like moving furniture around to create the best flow of energy and that's part of it but it's also about recognizing that we're not separate from our environment and our living spaces it's really just an extension of what's going on inside Mm-hmm. And it's a manifestation of what's happening on the inside. And also by shifting or changing the environment around you, you can shift things in your life. And sometimes it's a lot easier for people to do something outside of themselves to then start changes inside. Like, you know, people have a breakup. They want to get a haircut, change their change their look to kind of reflect some kind of internal change. And that's similar, like, you know, rearrange your room, rearrange your life. A lot of people say that. So um, that's kind of in a nutshell what feng shui is. There's also many different schools of feng shui. I actually practice a more Western uh, version of feng shui called BTB. And it's more energetic and it has a lot of, um, let's see, like meditations that are involved. It's loosely based um, on – it has – Buddhist influences and Chinese folklore and it takes from the I Ching and Taoism and Tibetan Buddhism, a lot of different um, traditions and it brings them all together. And the goal is to really look at your environment and see how things outside of you can be a metaphor for things that go inside go on inside you and and really start to take ownership of that and really begin to make or manifest changes in your life. And I love that. <laughs> it's a, it's such a cool practice and actually um took an interior a couple interior design classes in college and um and I didn't study that or anything but the part that, you know, we learned about architecture and design and just but when I got to feng shui it was like Ah, oh, this is so cool. It just resonated with me. It was just one of those things, you know. And um, you know, just simple little things that I learned from that class, I will be stuck in my mind forever. Like one of them and and I would love to know what you think about this, but like one of them was like when you're your desk, you should always be facing the door. You should like not you should never have your back to the doors, like something like that. And I always have that in the back of my mind. Even when I'm working at a coffee shop, like I'll make sure that like I sit with my computer where I can see the door instead of my back to the door and like just simple things like that. So I would love if you could um give us, you know, maybe three or, you know, just a couple simple tips that stick out in your mind as easy things like that that people can incorporate into their lives. 
Absolutely. The, what you just talked about, about how to position yourself in a room so you're facing the door, that's called the command position. And basically how that works is you want to be in a place, in a room, where, or you want to be in a place where you're the furthest away from the door and not directly in line with the door, but you can still see the full expanse of the room. So what I like, how I like to describe it is where would, for instance, where would like the mafia boss sit in a restaurant? He would sit all the way at the back with a wall behind him. So he's protected from the back where you're vulnerable and he's not right in line with the door and he could see everything that's going on. And also when I talk to most people about this, I ask them like, where would you want to sit in a restaurant? And everyone says the same thing. They want to sit near the back where they could see everything that's going on and have a wall behind them. They don't want to have their back to all the activity because it's not, one, it's not as interesting, but it there's also a psychological reason behind that too or a physiological reason because when your back is facing the door and you can't see what's going on in, in the room, you're um, exposing the back of your neck, which puts you in a very vulnerable position. And it also creates a level of anxiety and, and um, uh, increases your uh, adrenaline levels because your old mind, which is exposed, is worried about being attacked or surprised. For instance, like I was unfortunately not sitting in the command position at my desk the other day. And I was really, you know, I was doing a floor plan really into it. And then my husband come, comes in and I was so surprised and scared and shocked. I screamed because he crept up behind me. So it's just that, that um, not knowing what's coming towards you is re- really puts you at a disadvantage and creates like a real subtle level of stress. So that's really like the physiological reason behind it. And then there's also... Um, a metaphorical um, or symbolic meaning behind it because if you're in a place where your back is always facing the door, it's almost like you're scared or you're in fear of looking at what's coming towards you in your life. Mm. When you're open to looking at the expanse of the room, seeing all that's coming to you and you can prepare or you, you just have your eyes wide open. So really that's the metaphor or the symbol behind, or symbolism behind the, the command position too. When you're in command, you you're fully aware of what's going on. You're in control of your life. You're in command of your life, and you can see all the positive opportunities that could come to you. And you could take it. You could choose to take advantage of them or not. But you're you're you have your eyes wide open rather than looking away, which um, a lot of people think they feel safer when they're not in command, but really. It's, it might be because they don't want to see what's coming towards them or they don't want to take control of their life. So that's like a real um, easy, well, not so easy, but one of the main um, principles of feng shui, and this applies most importantly to your desk because your desk represents your career and your path in life and your bed, which represents um you because you spend a lot of passive yin time in bed so it really affects you when you're not in the command position in bed because you're in this passive yin state where um, 
and you're also very vulnerable, so you're more susceptible to that stress level, those stress levels. And it's also very important to position your stove in command because the stove represents wealth and how you nourish yourself in the world. If you're at your stove and you're not in command, you actually put a subtle level of fear and stress into the food that you cook. Oh, no. I was just <laughs> looking over at my apartment and my stove is directly in line with the door. I don't know what I'm going to do about that. <laughs> oh, wait. Isn't it in line with the front door? Yeah. Can you see it from the front door? Yes, if I turn uh, my head. Wait, when you walk in, is the first thing you see your stove? Well, if you walk in, you see the kitchen right away. And then on the left is the – on your right is the stove and on the left is the sink. You know what I mean? So it's like okay. a strip right in front of the door. <laughs> but can you see – but when you're at your front door, can you see your stove? It would be in your peripheral vision. <laughs> okay. That should be okay then. Okay. Um, well, so I guess that'll be my second tip. How, how, what can you do if you, your stove, your desk, or your bed is not in command and you can't shift those locations for whatever reason? Like, um, It's very challenging for you in an apartment to move where your stove is located, right? Right, right. So one, one thing about B2B feng shui is that we look at um, – we look at the physical elements around you, but it's what's most important is your perception of the world around you. So we can use tools to adjust your per- perception. So you could put a mirror uh, at your st- stove. So basically a mirror. So when you're standing at your stove, you can see the front door behind you. So often I recommend, um, like if you go to an auto shop, they have those convex mirrors. And you, they already have adhesive on the back, so you, I have one of those on my stove because my stove is not in command either. So I just have mine taped to or stuck to the top of my stove. Or, you know, you could have a mirrored backsplash or set up a mirror next to your stove. Or you, you could even get, like, a mirrored teapot or a, some kind of orb that, like, you know, is more decorative. Mm-hmm. And you could the goal is that... When you're sitting or when you're standing cooking that you could see behind you and that way if your subconscious knows that um, when you are doing something like cooking and you know nourishing yourself by cooking or even boiling water, you can if you heard something behind you or something came behind you, you, you could you're in control of the space and you could see what's happening. Nice, I love that. I love that you know we're not screwed there's things we can do <laughs> yes and that applies for your bedroom too so if your bed's not in command you can position a, like a it, it should be like one of those standing mirrors that you can move around and just test it out get in bed and like make sure that you can while you're laying comfortably in bed like you would when you're sleeping that if you just look up without turning your head or anything you can see the door in the reflection of the mirror so good. I feel like every apartment complex and every office and everything should have to consult this stuff before they build it to make things like the stove easy for us. <laughs> I know. Well, they should, but they don't. And, you know, I'm an architect and I was never taught these principles. And it's interesting. Someone asked me recently um, if it's because a lot of it seems like it's common sense. And she's like, well, if it's common sense and you hire a good designer or architect and you have a good team on board, what, 
don't they have enough common sense to design it the right way? And I said, well, you know, you would think so, but as we all know, we as a, you know, especially as Westerners have really lost touch with um, our intuition yeah. and with nature and with the cycles of nature. And we just don't even know how to recognize that um, uncomfortability anymore or rec- it's hard for us to recognize when things are in in tune or are supporting us. We really have to relearn that because we've been conditioned to ignore those signals. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and I think that's why, you know, I connect with it so much and why a lot of people, when they do learn about it, can really get behind it because it's like, okay, it, it is so intuitive. It is so common sense, but no one had ever told me what it was called or, or what it is before. So I think talking about it and, you know, having this conversation, opening up, you know, just like with any, um, esoteric conversation or anything spiritual or, whatever. I think it's great to have these conversations and talk about it. So hopefully more people will talk about it. Exactly. Because the biggest, I mean, the, the thing was when I started learning about feng shui, it was really amazing to me that I had for so long not recognized so many connections to things and then, and the symbols and meanings behind things, you know, of course, um, you know, for instance, red represents fire and that, can create passion and like put, you know, having that around you um, can change the way that you interact in the space, interact with people, because also scientifically the wavelength of red, the color red is different than other colors and that affects our eyes differently. So it, it, it really, all these things that we see in our world and, and put in our built environment all affect us because they're all vibrations just like we are. Yeah, so interesting. So um, we'll get more into tips on feng shui, but I want to ask you about clutter and get into that conversation a little bit and why clearing clutter is so essential and maybe some feng shui or just general tips there you might have for people. Sure. You know, one of my teachers, she likes to point out, well, people get very obsessed with clutter And it's really a modern day problem, right? Because people didn't have so much stuff. We have a lot of stuff. And people didn't have enough stuff to have clutter back when feng shui was developed. But um, so so I always impress on people that they should give themselves a break about clutter sometimes because I see so many people that they're so embarrassed to have me come into their home. They're like, oh, I have so much clutter. And I go in and I'm like, this is fine. And of course, there are people that like have problems, and and uh, there's hoarders, and there's people that have extreme problems as well, and that's a whole different story. But for the average person, one there's there's different types of clutter, and when clutter is only a problem if it's creating a blockage for you, if it's creating an energy blockage, and the way you can tell that, um, how can you tell? Well, it's something that you have to judge for yourself. But for instance, let's talk about closet clutter, right? Right. So I don't know about you, but I have a lot of stuff in my closet all the time. And I'm always, um, I always have okay some clothes in there that like from years ago that I want to fit back into one day. 
and then some clothes that are in disrepair that need mending, and then, you know, the clothes that I always thought I would want to wear but I never wore that don't really resonate with me for some reason, and then there's the stuff that I wear. And it was interesting that um, I actually, I think I decluttered my closet last year, and I really created space because the metaphor is that once you create space in the universe or space in your closet or space, you know, in some other place in your life where you have a bit of clutter, you actually create a vacuum for the universe to want to fill again. And if you have a full closet, you have no room for anything else in your life. So I think, you know, you have to be the judge of your clutter. But if you think that you're have so much stuff, like for instance, in your closet, so many, so much clothes that you don't have room for anything new. That's, you're telling the universe, I'm full. I don't need anything new in my life. I don't need any new opportunities. I don't need anything, um, any new options. I don't need no new people or a new relationship, whatever it is you're saying. I'm stuffed. I Mm -hmm. love this. I just want to highlight this line because I think that's so important for people to take away. So good. Keep going. <laughs> well, you know, and also, so I was talking about the different types of clothes. So yeah. I realized, you know, okay, I have some clothes in there that I should just let go of because I'm not going to fit into them yep. ever again. Or if I did, it doesn't matter. It and might be out of style and you could buy new ones then. Exactly. Or things that maybe I spent, I, this was expensive. I don't want to get rid of right. it even though I will never wear it again. And I and with the, um, the clothes that don't fit, I know like a lot of magazines or, or people give advice like, oh, you should hold on to that one pair of your, your, that one pair of jeans that you want to fit back into. But from my perspective, you don't want to hold on to that because it really makes you hold on to this idea of what you want to be. And in turn, you hold on to that weight too that you want to lose. Yes. Or, or as Sasha would say, um, who you just interviewed, she says like you release, you want to release the weight. Right. Instead of lose it. But um, I think that, you know, having those things in your closet are constant reminders and hold you back and and cause you to hold on to things so tightly that you have no room for anything new for the universe to, to present to you. So I really encourage people to, you know, let go of those things that are no longer working for them. Also, like, I think at some point I had, well, this was what I, before I studied feng shui, I remember I had a lot of magazines cluttered up in my room and I, and this is when I had roommates and they're, so they're all in my bedroom. And every time I looked at them, I felt guilt because I was like, Oh, that's, there's those, that's the pile of magazines that I always want to read, but I never have time to read. And now it's just an eyesore. It's piling up. It's growing. And, and then every time I saw that it would, there'd just be another layer of guilt and there's so much energy that we put into it, and you don't even realize how much energy is going into ignoring that too. Yeah. So, and I know this work. Uh, I know people understand that. Um, well, maybe they don't. Like with fear, when you're scared of something, you spend all this energy not thinking about it. Where if you just addressed it, you would be able to take care of it and release it, and then have so much more energy. The same goes yeah. with clutter. When you see this like pile of clutter that you're not addressing. And you see that every day. It's just a subconscious reminder, and it and it just weighs on you more and more and more. And it's very tiring to have a lot of clutter around you for a few reasons. One is because your mind already knows, your subconscious knows it's there, 
without even seeing it. So you already have like a part of your, some of your energy is already allotted to suppressing that recognition of that clutter, right? So, so you're so tired because it's, you're just spending all your, you're using all your energy to not think about it. And then in a um, energetic, like physical energetic way, um, like Karen Kingston, who's um, a famous yeah. feng shui consultant, she talks about how the energy or the chi around clutter is very sticky mm. and thick. And so I think that also in a physical energetic way creates sluggishness and, and, and it doesn't allow the chi to move around your home and around your spaces to really nourish and support you, it just gets stuck and stagnant. So in that way, it also creates, um, it perpetuates more stagnation and it slows you down and then takes, sucks your energy away. So good. I love that we had that conversation and, um, I'm super big on clearing clutter and how it can really, really just be the thing that you need to release to take your life to the next level. And um, and this is something I really learned for myself. I didn't grow up this way at all um, with the way that I lived, but that you mentioned um, Karen Kingston and her book, Clear Your Clutter with Feng Shui, which I highly, highly like could not more recommend. It was like so good for me. And um, one of the things in there that she – gives is kind of like this test and and you probably know about this Angie but she says when you look at an object or and you can apply this to clothing really easily I think but any kind of object even if it's like a souvenir from a trip you took that was a really fun trip but even if you look at it and Mm -hmm. in that moment it makes you feel anything less than like excited and happy to have it or if it just brings up any type of emotion that's not great Mm-hmm. Get rid of it. Just don't mm-hmm. even think about it. Even if you think, oh, but I can't because it's the ticket from the train and that train was really fun. Like, just get rid of it. If in that moment it doesn't bring up something good in you, don't have it in your house. And, like, that was a big shift for me. That, like, that really changed things for me. And, you know, the other thing, especially when thinking about your closet for me, is I realized recently that. For myself particularly, and I think for everybody kind of across the board, choice really stresses me out. Like choice is my biggest thing that stresses me out. So especially with getting dressed in the morning, like I – it will stress me out if I – and, you know, this stress isn't like I'm running from a tiger kind of stress, but this is like, you know, our daily life stress. And if I can prevent any of that, I mean, I might as well, right? And so just taking – my closet and keeping it as um, not only clean and organized, but just as minimal as possible is really, really helpful. And, um, you know, I, I feel like I clean my closet every seat. I just did a big, huge sweep and released a lot of stuff, but, um, and it felt amazing. And, um, you know, in clothes, it's such a great thing because you can give them away and then that feels really good too. But it just made that choice so much easier in the morning. And at least, you know, when the season's changing, taking your winter clothes out and keeping the summer things. And I think that can be, um, you know, depending on where you live, is really helpful. But I just, I loved and wanted to highlight everything you said in clutter. I think it's so good. Yeah. Yes. I totally agree with everything you say. And it's funny that you talk about choices because, um, you know, we have so many choices and you remember there's that one study done where people were given, you know, 12 
different types of jam versus three different types of jam. And when the given three choices, you could people most people picked one and bought one, but given twelve choices, it was just too overwhelming, and no one bought. People wouldn't buy anything. Mm. And I think that's also something that you know is a little bit disappointing in our culture now that we have so many options that we just get so overwhelmed. And to simplify things and have and like you said, having things that you know. Um, are life affirming for you around you objects that have life affirming energy and support you and as well as food and, and people and everything in your life. It's, it just helps you create, uh, it makes it more simple and you can save your energy for the things that you really want to focus your energy on. But I did want to say one thing about clutter. So the other extreme, well, not the extreme. Well, one extreme is the hoarding, but the other extreme is having, um, well, we would say it would be two yin, not like being too minimal. That's also a, a little bit of a problem in feng shui because when something, so yang is very, is um, like high noon, life affirming, very energetic, active energy, like the sun. And yin is the moon and it's darkness and it's um, more passive and it's also death. And so when there is not, when it like, when there is, I guess when it's very minimal, then it can, you can have a space that's actually too yin and there's no life there. And a good way to think about it is like if you think of a cafe and you see like two cafe tables and one, it's just like there's nothing on it. There's just a chair, a table. And then there's another one with like a hat, sunglasses. No one's there, but you could still see that there's life there. And so the goal is to have something in the middle where you still have life and you have um things around you that support you and it's not and you don't get too obsessed with having it so sterile because then you have no life energy at all Mm. so it's finding that happy medium I love that Mm -hmm. so I guess I would love to know you know maybe people listening to this are saying okay I get what they're saying about clutter and how it will benefit me and my life greatly to call in new things and new abundance and relationships into my life if I clean that up. But I'm so overwhelmed by my space and I'm so overwhelmed by all of the clutter I do have that I need to clear. Where do I start? What would you say to that person? How would you coach them? Well, um, I would tell them to start really small and look at, well, look at a small area. So say they want to work on their closet. We've been talking about the closet. And set an egg timer for nine minutes. So nine is a very auspicious number in feng shui. It's the number of completion. So I would say set it for nine minutes and just let yourself do some decluttering for nine minutes and then that's it. And uh, don't guilt yourself about it. Don't feel bad about it. Just be happy with what you did and just take it step by step because a lot of people use that over, I'm overwhelmed and then that's an excuse to not do anything at all. Yeah. So I always recommend that people take it really like one step at a time. So either like nine minutes a day or maybe you, you uh, throw out or give away, donate or recycle nine things mm-hmm. a day. So nine objects. And it, so the nine really gives... Well, because it's an auspicious number, it also gives some kind of, it puts a ritual 
or makes it into a ritual. Yeah. So, you know, so every day, just nine things a day, and it's really easy to do. Make it as easy as you can for yourself because the harder you make it, the more you'll resist it. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, dealing with your money, and it kind of brings me back. I interviewed Kate Northrup a couple episodes back about, um, you know, your relationship with money, and it's it's really the same thing. And, and you know, a lot of people in debt or just – who don't want to think about their money. The word budget gives them anxiety and they just don't want to deal with it. But she, one of the things she says to do is to make it a ritual of, you know, looking at your bank statement every morning and to every Friday have a little financial party with yourself (laughs) and get your, like, have your favorite drink on hand and, like, wear your favorite outfit and, like, light a candle and just like sit with your money and and plan out your your week or whatever and i think if you could people like i know that people look at this as like i work so hard during the week the last thing i want to do over the weekend is spend my weekend clearing my closet and clearing my clutter so i'm going to just not think about it and get out of the house as much as i can to like not deal with it and i think um you know not that that's a mistake because I would say the same thing. That makes sense. But I think what you said can really change the game for people if they make it fun and enjoyable and a practice that they want to participate in of just nine things, you know, even if it's every weekend, you know, every, like mm-hmm. every Saturday and Sunday, nine nine minutes, nine minutes each day, and then you can get out of the house. Then you don't have to think about it. But at least you'll feel good knowing you got that done. It's kind of like exercise, you know, like – if you don't move your body all day, you may feel kind of stagnant. But if you get that exercise, that yoga class or whatever it is, and in the morning, the rest of the day, you feel pretty good because you know you at least got it done. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Like I'm a student at, uh, do you know Shambhala Center? No. Uh, um, it's, uh, well, it's a meditation center and, and there's several centers around the U.S. But uh, there's one in New York City and so they it's – based in Tibetan Buddhism. And they talk about joy is rooted in discipline. So once you bring some discipline in your life, you can really start to feel joy because it allows you to have a pattern, have a ritual, and, and then really be able to cultivate joy. So I think that's, that is really important, finding you know discipline even in making your bed every morning yeah. and having that create some stability in your life really can help you start to cultivate joy. I love that that conversation of discipline because that's something that um, I was actually just thinking about and, and journaling a little bit about this in my own life. Like, you know, I had a practice that I wanted to put into place, a new habit I wanted to create. Mm-hmm. And I was really in the space of like, it was just very unlike me, kind of negatively like, oh, I've tried this before and it hasn't stuck. I've tried this before. It hasn't stuck. Like I don't – I'm in that space where it's not intuitive. I don't want to do it, but I know I want to do it, but in the moment I don't want to do it. And I was thinking about all of these other things in my life that I have the discipline to do, no question, but I also don't really love it. Like I don't love brushing my teeth, but I never miss a day. It's not like my favorite thing on earth. And even there are some nights where I'm like, I don't want to do this. But I always do because I know in bed I'll feel gross and have to get up if I don't, you know. <laughs> so it's like it's so funny if you can like kind of think, you know, like I never miss a day of making my bed. But like 
if I think of it, it maybe isn't my favorite thing. But if you can take these practices and make them really enjoyable, like when I brush my teeth, I always listen to a song. Like I, I think I heard once that you should brush your teeth as, about a lot as long as a song, like three minutes or something. So mm-hmm. I always listen to music. And then when I make my bed, like I get into it. Like I pretend I'm Martha Stewart with the pillows, like, you know. <laughs> And it's just like whatever you're doing, do it like you're a professional. Like, you know, when I'm brushing my teeth, like I pretend I'm a dental hygienist and like I get in there, you know. And Mm -hmm. so I think if you can kind of take that practice to whatever you're doing, whether you're cooking, whether you're making your bed, whatever, and do it like a pro and find a way to make it fun, make it like a little game of like how much fun can you have in your day doing mundane things, you know. Mm -hmm. And then um, that'll at least make you do it and make you have that discipline. And I think – clutter works perfectly for that Mm -hmm. and if you're not having fun doing it if you're just doing it and trying to think of something else then you're not really you're during that time that you're doing that task you're not really living either Mm. so good so we spoke a little bit about um the workspace and the desk and some ways to kind of keep that high vibrational and a little bit about the bedroom and maybe we can go there a little bit more but what about in the bathroom are there any things to think about in your bathroom space that um can make it more high vibe well so there's a few different schools of thought on on the bathroom you know, so feng shui, I said, was developed in China. So Chinese, ancient Chinese bathrooms were really not a place that you wanted to have, you wanted to be anywhere near, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a much different culture in the U.S. where a lot of our bathrooms are very spa-like and it's a place, it could be a place of rest and relaxation rather than, you know, something disgusting. Yeah. Yes. So, um, so there's, so it's the way that I look at the bathroom is, I I do look to see if it's located in any of the um, feng shui areas that relate to like pro- prosperity and money or maybe your fame because fame is related to fire. So that water energy can put out the flames of the fire in the, your fame area or how you're recognized in the world. Or if it's in your prosperity area, it also, it, that downward energy can uh, represent the wealth being flushed away but as the you know the water goes down you also are bringing new water back in so it's really your perspective but in general the only times I really worry about bathrooms is if it's like in a if it's in a like a large apartment building where you have many bathrooms stacked on top of each other like floor after floor after floor Mm -hmm. that creates a very um, extreme downward water energy and if that's located in the um, in like the prosperity area or the fame area of your floor plan, then it needs to be remedied. And, um, well, there's different ways to do it. It really depends on the situation. So in general, I would say it's, it's hard to, it's hard to make a comment about the bathroom. Okay. Here's a, here's an easy tip for the bathroom. Always keep the door closed and also always keep the toilet bowl cover shut. Mm. Because that helps prevent that um, things from flush the energy from, from being flushed down, but also in a very um, uh, mundane way, you know, um, it keeps everything. It when you have your toilet seat seat up, then there's more moisture in the bathroom and more mildew can develop and. Oh. 
And also when you flush the toilet, everything goes everywhere. So it's always good to close the, yeah. close the top. And also keeping the door closed keeps um, that energy from going in there and going down. That's, that would be my general tip, but it's a, it's a little bit more complicated than I can explain to you. Just no, that's good. I like interview. that. I, I like that simple, that simple thing just of shutting the door. I, mm-hmm. I never, I don't, you do that, but I'm going to now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we spoke a little bit about the kitchen with the, um, the placing of the stove, but what about kind of like, um, top line, like you did with the closing the door, um, for the bathroom, are there any things to think about when you're in the kitchen? Just because there's so much energy that goes into food and there's so much time and love spent in the kitchen, could you talk about um, any simple things people can apply in that space? Yeah, one thing I'd like to um, share with people is I said that uh, the stove represents your prosperity and your wealth and how you nourish yourself in the world. And Because if you can... Well, one, if you may, if you bring in money, you can feed yourself. But also, if you can feed yourself and stay, stay uh, healthy, then you can, you know, gain more money and prosperity in the world. So it works in two ways. And there's a few things with the stove. You should always keep it clean, very clean, as clean as possible, because that represents on that represents your prosperity again, right? And then having more burners is better than less burners. So people traditionally have four, but if you have six, that's even better. Or if you can set up a mirror so it uh, reflects the burners, you actually can double your burners. And the more burners you have, the more wealth you have because you have the, there's more ability to cook and, and have more nourishment. And then another thing I like to point out is, um, you know, one is you should always try to use your stove at least once a day, whether, you know, just to boil water, because if you don't use the stove, then you're not activating that, um, you're not activating the prosperity that you have available to you. And then when you go to your stove, like, do you have a favorite burner? Yeah. Always, Which one is it? Um, front left. <laughs> front left. Okay. I think mine is, mine is like, you know, well, mine is the front left mostly, but I always challenge people to next time they go to their stove tomorrow morning, try using a different burner because we, if we automatically just go to the same burner all the time, we're missing a lot of opportunities. So try a different burner each time you go to the stove and realize when you're doing that, you're opening up your opportunities because in a really practical way, every morning now I'm, I go to my, I like I'm sleepy going to my stove, Mm -hmm. putting on water and I'm like, oh, wait, I'm not going to go to the same one again. I'm going to try a different one. So every morning, that's a reminder. Like, I'm not going to do the same thing mindlessly. I'm going to look at the world differently every day, every morning, and with everything I do, no matter how mundane the task is, and open up opportunities for myself. Oh, my God. I, I'm like, ah, I love this so <laughs> much. Like, this is so up my alley. Like, oh, so good. I love that tip. Anything else for the kitchen? Um, let's see. No, but you know what? I wanted to say something about money since you you mentioned money earlier. Yeah, One yeah. way that we look at uh, money and feng shui is um, money will treat you the way that you treat it. Mm. So one way you can look at uh, or you could um, be more conscious about how you are with your finances is to look at your wallet. Now, I always make sure that all my bills are organized. They're all facing the same way. And I always put the big bills first. So I see the larger amount first. 
And then I always like make sure they're all straightened out and in order because if you're jamming like all your dollars and stuff in your wallet all the time, I mean, you're not treating your money very well. And also you don't know what's happening with your money. You could lose it really easily and you're not respecting it. But if you spend the time to organize your money, treat it well and, and, you know, and always put the best first, it, your relationship with money will start to shift. And we also say to get, if possible, get like a new wallet. I don't get a new wallet every year, but I get in, you know, I noticed but a big it's difference. Not like beat up and. <laughs> yeah, that's nice that you're getting. Part. Yeah, like if you want to get a nice wallet, get that nice wallet you've been wanting and know that this is like a treat for you. But also it's like, you know, I'm really going to honor my money, put it in a nice place, take care of it. And, you know, when I got, I got I'm like, I'm going to splurge on this nice, like, you know, Chanel wallet or whatever, or Gucci wallet. And, you know, and I'm going to put my money in there nicely and I'm going to pay attention to it and keep it nice and organized. And, you know, you really start to, your relationship with money starts to shift and, and more wealth starts to come to you. Yes. I'm so glad you mentioned that, you know, abundance breeds abundance and it's, that's such a great, great, great tip. So, um, I'm adoring these tips, so I have to go back to the bedroom really quick and make sure we didn't miss anything in there that we should think about and that space that we spend probably the most amount of time in. Mm-hmm. Cause, and then, like I said earlier, a lot of passive, yeah, uh, passive time because your bedroom and your bed actually represents you because you spend so much time in there. So a lot of times we say, in feng shui that if you want to do any adjustments start in your bedroom because it's Mm. the closest to you so that's um, why the mm -hmm. closet might be so good to start with because Mm -hmm. it's typically in the bedroom Mm -hmm. and well also i like to ask people what's under their bed so what's under your bed katie um one little box of um sponge rollers for my hair (laughs) that's good that's (laughs) good that i've had forever (laughs) Well, for your bed, it's really good to have uh, it cl- open and clear underneath so that she can move around you easily, can flow around okay, you easily when you're sleeping. <laughs> well, that's okay. I think one one box of rollers is fine. But, yeah, you know, but some... I might as well put them in the closet. I've got <laughs> <That's> space <true>. now. <laughs> well, some people, like, they'll have, you know, pictures uh, or, like, pictures of their exes or love letters from their exes, and it's... All that energy from, you know, you were talking about like having things around you that bring up positive memories or positive feelings, like having that underneath you and anything that has any kind of negative uh, connotation or or anything sharp and having that under your bed is really just subconsciously that energy is just like you're absorbing that energy all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to look under your bed. If possible, try to keep it clear. Like I'm in Manhattan. No one has any space here. So, uh, you know, I do my best with my clients. I say, you know, do your best. If you have to have stuff under there, if possible, keep it soft, keep it like bed related, like pillows, blankets. And, um, and also like things under your bed can represent subconscious blocks in your relationships. Mm, So interesting. It's like the princess and the pea. (laughs) Oh, I don't know that story. Oh, <laughs> well, never mind. That, that'll that take us all day. <laughs> okay. okay. I'll tell you after. Okay. Um, so I guess now I, I'm obsessed with your tips. I could literally talk to you all day, but I, I want to get personal with you and ask you kind of about your life. And so I would love to know your favorite part of 
the life you've designed for yourself and being an entrepreneur? Well, my favorite part is just working with my clients. I really love creating beautiful and nourishing spaces for my clients. I love talking with them. I love seeing what they need and and sharing my knowledge and and helping them manifest a beautiful home or business because really when everything is in disarray around you, it's so hard to feel like in harmony with yourself and your and with what you're doing in your life. So I really, really love that. I don't know, I'm I feel so lucky that every day I can work with people that I really love to work with. My projects get better and better every day and and I get to study what I love. I, you know, study yantra painting, I study meditation, I study feng shui, I study about sacred geometry, I study, you know, and I incorporate all of this into my work and it's I just feel really lucky that everything I do I love to do. Mm. I think that's everybody's goal. I love that. So, what advice would you have for budding entrepreneurs or people who want to be entrepreneurs? Mm, let's see. One of the first things that my teach one of my teachers, my feng shui teachers told me when I first started studying, um, I took a three-year certification program. And right when I joined the program, I actually, I actually got my first feng shui client even before I studied, started studying in the formal program. And I was talking to her about it. And, she, and so one, one feng shui, like the first feng shui cure that she gave me was to do one good deed a day. Mm. And that was really an interesting thing for me because I was like, well, I think I'm a really good person. I do lots of good things all the time. And then it really started to make me think like, do you, like, is it something that does it count if it's something I would normally do? Does it, um, do I have to pay? Do I have to like donate money? Does it have to be about money? Like what is, what does it mean to do a good deed? And it, it's such a simple or a simple thing, but it's, it could be very complex. And the reason why she gave that to me is, um, she said that, you know, we start to hold things so close to us, like, especially like when the economy was really bad, like people were holding things so close to them as tight as possible. They didn't want to give away their money. They didn't want to buy anything. They didn't want to give anyone anything. And by doing good one good deed a day, you're putting positive energy out into the universe. So, and, and then you, you receive that back. And what I ended up figuring out was that my good deed was to open doors for people. So I would like run, <laughs> run ahead of them and open the door for them. And that was my thing. And, and then one time, like someone opened the door for me and I was on the phone and then she totally yelled at me. She's like, you're welcome. And then I felt really bad. And then I said, I'm really sorry. Thank you so much. I was on the phone and then she was still nasty to me. And then she ruined, like kind of like ruined my day. And, and so all these like, um, things happened around opening doors for people. And then I started realizing what I was really doing was opening doors for myself mm. by doing this good deed. So what my, my recommendation for entrepreneurs would be like, really like start by putting positive energy out there and not hold things so tightly. Like not try, like don't try to hold on to all the information you have. Don't be worried about people stealing what you have. Just give as much as you can and, it will all come back to you and it'll help you manifest, you know, um, 
anything that you really want. It's there's so much um so much power in putting out good good energy into the world and and doing one good deed a day can really start shifting a lot of things in your life. Oh, I love that. And I think that's so true in the blog world of mm-hmm. you know, sharing your best content for free and building that audience and building that platform for yourself and then those people that love you, they want whatever you're sharing and selling because they know you and trust you. Mm-hmm. And I I just love that. So I know that you're also working on a book, 108 Ways to Create Holistic Space, Feng Shui, and Green Design for Healing and Organic Interiors. I adore that title. So <laughs> could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. You know, I have like a huge feng shui library and I understand it, but I know the average person doesn't. And, you know, my approach, I don't know if you could tell my approach to things is really like, I don't ever want anyone to feel like things are too overwhelming for them or they, um, or give, put too much on someone's plate because once you get feel overwhelmed and you just don't do anything. And the, really the goal is to make, yeah. And I want people to be able to make small shifts. And, you know, I've been taught, my, t- my teachers taught me that even um, one feng shui cure is enough. Like, people want, like, oh, they want to fix, like, every area of the feng shui map. You know, we're taught, like, you don't want to fix any every area. You just fix the areas that need help, that you have issues with. Otherwise, we call it uh, you're being a hungry ghost. You're wanting too much. You know, you're really just trying to get as much as you can, and it's like an addiction in a way. So, um so I have all these feng shui books, and they go in such depth, and then I think people get overwhelmed. And I really wanted to provide easy and simple and digestible tips for people to easily implement in their life because it's just one – you could just make one shift and really change your whole outlook. And I would really – I really want to share all the knowledge I have with people and – I think that um, a lot of books, while they're great for me, maybe people get overwhelmed. And also, there's so many different schools of feng shui, people get conflicting information. I just want to like put out simple, easy ways to incorporate green living, holistic living, and feng shui changes into your life. And, you know, and pe- just make it, um, accessible. make it, yeah, accessible. So there's no excuses. I like to make it so easy that you have no excuse not to do it. Oh, okay. I First of all, I love this and I cannot wait to have it and read it, but it's so funny. It reminds me exactly of the new book that just came out by my mentor who we were just talking about before the call who I had on the show, Gabrielle Bernstein. Mm. And her latest book is called Miracles. Now I have it on my desk and it's 108 life-changing tools for less stress, more flow, and finding your true purpose. And it sounds to me like it's very similar in the concept of it's kind of like her, you know, greatest hits album. All of the simple tools, again, that people have no excuse not to implement. And it sounds like your book will kind of be the same way, the greatest hits of feng shui, where people can even just open the book to any page, find a tip to implement, trust their intuition that that'll be correct. And I'm wondering, um, she talks a lot about the symbolism of 108 and why she chose that number and it's probably similar to why you chose it for your book yes like because there's um well 108 one plus zero plus eight equals nine so it's a multiple of nine which is a auspicious feng shui number it's a number of completion 
And it's, you know, there's 108 beads in a mala and, you know, we, in Buddhism, you chant things 108 times. So it's really like a meaningful number. I love that. And it's just so funny. It's like the feng shui version of the book that she just put out. And I just, I know it's going to be amazing. So thank you for giving that to the world. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited because like I said earlier, there's people, a lot of people have a hard time making the changes inside and, but it's a lot easier to make it outside of themselves. So if that, if I could help someone shift something in their environment and have that really support them and, and have them start to, you know, really be able to manifest a beautiful life, that that's all I want. Mm, that's amazing. So let's wrap with some quick fire questions. So just say like the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. You ready? Okay. <laughs> Favorite color? Black. Favorite thing to do for fun? Um, uh, oh, paint. I like to paint yantras. Amazing. Favorite um, or number one tip for a greener, more sustainable home? Switch to, well, get rid of the Windex and all the toxic cleaners and make your own or, or you could buy the non-toxic cleaners. Nice. What are maybe the first three things you get do when you get up in the morning and any specifics of your morning routine that affect how the rest of your day goes? So usually I wake up and I, I've been doing oil pulling oh, and, yeah. and then I also have Sasha's fire water drink. Oh yeah, me too. I do <laughs> And then if I'm not running off to a meeting, well, okay, I meditate for at least five minutes, but I will say, I don't want to admit this, but I usually check my email too. Pretty uh, in those first three things, I check my email. I love that. Um, Firewater is just like the best. Well, mm-hmm. I love the um, you have her recipe on your site, so we'll we'll link to that below, um, in the or in the show notes. So, what about in the evening? What are some things you do to wind down and relax? Maybe the last three things before bed. Oh, I'm such a workaholic lately. <laughs> um, I spend some time talking to my husband, and we um, he. Lately, he's been, well, it's been cold. So when it's been cold, he'll put like a little hot water bottle under the, under the sheets, under my feet and prepare that for me before I go to bed. Mm-hmm. And, and then when I'm falling, a, falling asleep, I actually count sheep because I read that when you, um, when you, um, use that part of your brain where you visualize things, which works with meditation too, that it activates a different part of your brain and helps relax you. Oh, I love that. I'm going to do that tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what's your favorite day of the week? Sunday. Favorite hour of the day? Uh, noon. You know, noon, between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. are the most yang hours of the day, and then between 11 p.m. and 11 a.m. are the most yen, so I like noon because it's the most yang. Oh, I like that. Um, favorite vegetable? Broccoli. Favorite fruit? Strawberries. Best meal you've eaten recently? Mm. I've been juicing, so I haven't had any meals. Oh, so. man. Um, I had a really great almond milk. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny to ask you that question while you're cleansing. Um, what is the your superhero power that you wish you could have for a day? Okay. I would... Um, 
I read, I heard the one that you were, uh, that Gabby or you were saying with Gabby and that seemed a lot more, um, a lot better. Mine seems a little selfish, but I'd like to fly. That, I mean, that would be awesome. Nothing selfish about that. You get a <laughs> lot done. <laughs> I'd like to fly. I mean, I love bike riding because I feel like it's flying. I think just being weightless and also like, um, in the Shambhala teachings, they talk about flying like the Garuda, like being not, being attached to the earth, but really letting yourself be outrageous and free and um, just open up to whatever's coming to you. Mm, nice. That makes it sound amazing. Um, what is the best lesson you've learned recently? Um, actually, I was listening to the podcast that you had with Gabby that she was talking about expanding time and not um, that to be successful, you don't have to exhaust. I forgot yeah. the slow yeah. down to get more done. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's something that I'm learning. I I have to learn a lot, but um that's I've been incorporating that since I listened to it. Mm, I love that. Um what's your favorite movie? Favorite movie. Oh god. Um probably a, a Wes Anderson movie. Oh, I love Wes Anderson movies. They're so beautiful. Mhm. Favorite book. Favorite book. Uh right now I like Untethered Soul. Have you read that? No, but I think I've heard of it, or it sounds familiar. I'll have to check it out. I think it's my- Michael Singer. It's it's very good. Cool. Favorite song? Favorite song. I'm really into Blonde Redhead lately, so I've been listening to Silently a lot. Nice. Going to have to check that out, too. So what are you most excited about in your life right now, and where can people find you? I'm really, well, I'm really excited about my book. I'm also really excited. I'm starting, I'm going to start a store with my sister. It's going to be the Holistic Spaces store. Oh, cool. An online store. Yeah, we're going to create um, products for, to create a holistic space in your home. So, Yay. we're going to, I know this is the first time I'm talking about it publicly, but cool. there's going to be an apothecary where we have um, curated blends of essential oils for different rooms in your home. So, for instance, if you wanted to, have a more restful bedroom or if you wanted to have a more passionate bedroom and different um so different blends for that and um and also like for space clearing things like that and then that'll be the apothecary and then there'll be the art section where i i um paint yantras that incorporate so yantras with mandalas around them and i have a few i, I paint a lot of them so create prints of those and have them nicely framed. And they, they would also be prescribed for certain areas. For instance, I have um, a yantra, a Mars yantra with a mandala around it. And it's very fiery colors and it's in the fame area of my desk. So that's to uh, really support and adjust and bring more fame and recognition and passion to my work. So, you know, that sort of art. So it's very sacred, spiritual, meaningful art that's prescribed for certain things. So they're feng shui adjustments and also very, um, high designed, highly well-designed feng shui, uh, adjustment tools. Cause I think there's a lot of adju- feng shui, uh, adjustments out there like objects, but not they're not like oh they're they're sometimes very Chinese looking or they look cheap and I really want to create a line of feng shui objects that are very beautiful and maybe more Western maybe more modern that really just fit in with 
anyone's home and also make and again make it really easy so like you know provide everything you need you need the red string you need the hook to hang it up and so you know so it's easy for people to really implement these uh, feng shui adjustments in their life Mm, so good i cannot wait to shop there i know i'm so excited It's, it's so fun to start to put together their products with my sister so amazing So as you know, the name of my blog and this podcast is The Wellness Wonderland. So when I offer that term to you to live in a wellness wonderland space, what does that mean to you? Well, that's absolutely a holistic space. Yeah. Where um, to me, it's, it's like a joyful space where you recognize what your surroundings mean to you and there's and actually that there's um no differentiation between you and other people and the objects around you and the animals around you and the air around you and we're all integrated and all we all have compassion for each other and understand each other Mm, so amazing this has been so much fun and i'm so excited that i got to know you and talk with you today and that everyone else got to talk to you too so thank you so much for being here Thank you so much for having me. I really love talking to you too. Yay. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening. You made it all the way to the end. I'll be back next week. But until then, let's stay inspired and keep this conversation going. So tweet at me at Katie Dalebout and our guest with your aha moments from this conversation. And like the Wellness Wonderland on Facebook. So we can all hang out there and discuss how inspired we are and how we'll apply it in our daily lives. And never miss another episode or post from me by signing up for email updates on thewellnesswonderland.com. See you back in Wonderland.